There once were three girls, too old for bikinis, who spent the whole day by the pool with martinis. Adventures in aging was their favorite game. Martinis, mayhem, and menopause was their podcast name. They started this venture to share their life's lessons with laughter and chatter and sprinkles of blessings. So tune in each week as they frolic about, for you never can tell what will come out of their mouth. Clink, clink. Hey, mavens and misters. We're going at it a little bit heavy today. Do you or someone you're close to have a mental health disorder? Is the thought of seeking treatment off-putting or would you even feel supported in your efforts to seek mental health treatment? As a matter of fact, how can one actually seek mental health resources? Kind of difficult right now. In this episode though, the Mavens are gonna take on this serious moment, even though it can be a bit uncomfortable, to discuss the impact, stigmas, and perspectives on mental health. Hey ladies, how goes it? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. How are you ladies' mental health? Right now, in this pandemic, I, can't, yeah. I, I cannot make light of it, but this is, this, these are some serious times. What about you, Tanti? How's your mental health? Fair to middling. And I think that's pretty consistent. Um, everybody's struggling, and that's kind of the, the reason I thought that this would be you know, a good day, a good time for us to go with this. Everybody's really struggling, and I think so often we as a culture, we as a community, we're just really not sure what to do with it. And it's a lot going on right now. Culturally, gender perspectives. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on mental health? I know a lot of times I happen to be African-American and I've noticed that in recent years, we have even been more, we've been a little more open and receptive to delving into the concept of seeking treatment and mental health, but it's still largely very much a stigma to even acknowledge that you are dealing with anything, you're not feeling well about something, and we just have this get over it, push through um, expectation that we hold ourselves accountable to doing, even though it's pretty unrealistic to do. I have to agree with that 100%. Um, I, I believe that because culturally we have always been expected to be supernaturally strong, right? So if you are carted on ships and living in backbreaking conditions and, <clears throat> excuse me, surviving Jim Crow and all the other things that we have survived, we are still here, so we have survived all of these things. It is sometimes difficult for people to think that we can have anything that would allow us to be perceived as weak. So that's true. Suck it up. We've had to work, you know, we've had to, we've had a tough road and we've made it this far. So we are not allowed or expected to show weakness. But if somebody, and I, you know, I've always kind of I've thought of mental health this way. If somebody had a heart attack, they don't tell you to suck it up. If Absolutely. somebody broke their leg, if somebody has diabetes, if, you know, they don't expect you to just suck it up and have it just sort of heal on its own. You, you get help, you get treatment. Um, mental health is no different. You know, it, be it depression, bipolar disorder, drug or alcohol abuse or, or addiction, any sort of disorder. 
Um, these are real issues that require real attention. Absolutely. And I think we also miss often the, the prevalence of trauma in people's lives that they have normalized as part of their ex existence, are part of their upbringing, are part of the relationships that they're supposed to be maintaining. So I think we also have, have lulled the people into a sense of the traumas don't merit resolution. Get over it. This is how we do things. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. And so often now, you know, we're looking and experiencing situations where people feel trauma bonding is validation for dysfunction that they are willing to endure. And, and just sort of almost, you know, laugh it off in some ways. You know, man, my mama used to beat me so bad, blah, 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 fill in the blank. And then yours, my mind used to take a, this, you know, a, a switch to me, a cane to me, a blah, blah. That's not that's not OK. It's not okay, but it, it's, it's what we know. It was normalized. And so we carry our traumas with us, but wear them like badges. Uh, Absolutely. You know, mental health is not, um, mental health disorders or issues are not designed for or exclusive to any group, nor is any group excluded, right? So I remember, I'll give an example for myself. I remember years and years ago going to a doctor, just not being well. And I had relocated from the Caribbean to the East Coast. And so experiencing winter and winter darkness and long stretches of, you know, all of that for the first time and getting more and more lethargic and feeling worse, constantly feeling worse and not even knowing what was wrong. And having this doctor say to me, you know, I'm going to refer you to somebody else because I think it might be seasonal affective disorder. Mm -hmm. like, what kind of yuppie crap is that? I don't have time or money to, you know, he's talking about getting this light and sitting in front of a light. And I'm like, what? That sounds like something for rich white people. I don't even know what you're talking about. I got, I got, I got two jobs. <laughs> like, I don't have time to be ill. Give me a real something, you know, tell me I'm low on iron. <laughs> Not low on sunshine. <laughs> and it is a thing. I mean, it is a thing. And I mean, I'm sure our, our listeners may or may not know, but I am a mental health clinician. And yeah, it is a real thing. And so often, again, we talk ourselves out of acknowledging that we really and truly may need help with something. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, um. You know, another thing that we have a difficult time is, with is acknowledging that there may be something wrong with us or in our family. It's almost like we feel we, if, especially if our children, if our children have something, what did we do wrong? What did, what did we do to break them? You know, how did this happen? Not that this just could naturally be an occurrence in their life. And while, you know, all mental health disorders are not naturally occurring, there are quite a few that are. And we really take issue with allowing our children or someone close to us to seek out mental health treatment because of how we feel it, it's what it says about us, which is ridiculous. I mean, we're not, as you said, I don't feel like I'm a horrible person if my daughter's got, you know, high blood pressure, but oh my God, I must be a horrible parent if my daughter is diagnosed with depression and oh, what are people going to say about me? And oh, how about we just not go to the doctor for that and let's just work it out at home, which is ridiculous, but we do. 
let's not add in medication. Oh God, no, please never, never speak of medication. I don't want my child medicated. I, and I'm not a proponent of unnecessary use of medications in any way. But I, I mean, even that it's so often you will see families or I will see families that are struggling and just the thought of medication being introduced as some way to improve their child's quality of life or even their own quality of life. It's like you've asked them to cut off a left foot because again, the stigma that they attach to the medication, it's almost like I would rather be broken, bad, angry, a drug addict, but I do not want to have a mental health disorder. Right. I mean, you know, and I think each situation is unique, as you know, um, yeah, and, and taking it in, into the physical rather than the mental, you know, you talk about high blood pressure, you talk about, you know, diabetes or any of those types of issues. Is it based on contributing factors or sometimes it happens despite they're not, they're being an absence of contributing factors? Because we all know the families who live on fried chicken, macaroni and cheese and, and Mountain Dew. And sometimes those people, they, they look perfectly fine. They look perfectly healthy. They're not obese. They don't have high blood pressure. They don't have diabetes. And then you have the people who live on oatmeal, grains, nuts, and twigs. And how is it that that person is sick? So it, it doesn't always add up, but sometimes it does. You know, sometimes it does. Everybody in the family, 400 pounds, and y'all still doing nothing but eating, you know, macaroni, cheese, and fried chicken every day. Well, there is a contributing factor. And I think sometimes mental health can be the same way. You can have a perfectly well-adjusted, happy family and not understand why the child is struggling with suicidal issues, depressive issues, mental health issues. And then sometimes you don't, you see these kids that are doing great and you don't know how they survived that house that they were in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not, there's not always an answer. Yeah. I mean, and part of that is, uh, in some instances, there are chemical imbalances. In some in instances, there are environmental stressors that create things. Um, in other situations, you know, it's I have a absence of resiliency. And resiliency is a huge something that we look at when we're talking about how people are able to manage some of the you know, less serious mental health issues. But it can be all of them or none of them. I mean, it's kind of like with um, certain kinds of medical conditions. There's a test. We run a test. We see you've got it. Well, a lot of the mental health disorders are more based on what your absence or diminished level of functioning is, how you are processing information, what your perceptions are. So those can be very subjective. So in some cases, a person can, a, a potential client could sit in front of one therapist or clinician and in that day present with symptoms of a diagnosis and be given that diagnosis and four or five months later sit in front of another clinician and have similar but not the same and have a completely different diagnosis attached to them. So it really can be a lot of different things that are going on. And as I said, you can't pinpoint it. You can't say if you score you know, three, this is bipolar. If you score four, it's not bipolar. It's just not that easily to determine that it is or isn't this specific thing immediately unless there's some huge, huge 
factors that are really long, I mean, really chronic and really long standing. And, and when you mentioned medical, um, there is a correlation, not necessarily that medical issues um, create mental health issues, but in some instances they really can. I mean, if you think about poor pain management, well, at some point you're probably going to feel some sense of prolonged sadness or depression or anxiety as a result of what's going on in that part of your life. So they do have correlative factors in that. It's all over the place. It is. So continuing on that same um, vein, I think it's important to look at contributing factors um, and variances that could make um, an impact on your mental health. Because it could be some of the things that we've already covered. You know, it could be something that's genetic. You know, sometimes some of these things run in families, you know, like dementia or um, depression or things like that can run in families. Some things, as we talked about, can be situational. You know, was there physical, sexual, psychological abuse in the home? That can make a huge impact on somebody's mental health. Um, And then some things I think can be situational, you know, like postpartum depression being one that comes to mind. Some women, they can Absolutely. absolutely, you know, wanting and having this baby could have been the most important thing in their lives. And then they have this baby and they cannot look at it. They cannot function. They can't, you know, take a shower, bathe the baby. They can't be left alone with the baby. You know, what are those hormonal impacts, do you think? I absolutely do think they're hormonal. And sometimes it's people have had other underlying lower level kind of mental health issues that just kind of exacerbate after that. And I think what makes the um, postpartum really difficult is the women who are feeling those things, which is hormonal, internalize it based on society's expectation that you be this person. After you have this bouncing baby, beautiful, perfect child, you're supposed to be excited, happy. You're not supposed to be overwhelmed. You're not supposed to look at it and question, how am I gonna raise this little thing that just showed up with me? You know, you can't even honestly, comfortably express any type of anxiety, fear, or resentment without people castigating you so negatively. So you've got the hormonal stuff and then you've got this guilt and and kind of self-hatred for even feeling the things that you feel and nobody to really talk to about it because people are going to look at you and say, oh no, that's not what you feel. Oh, you're just tired. So everybody's minimizing to the point that you feel like, well, I can't even tell you what I feel because you're not even going to let yeah. me feel it. So I have a question. I have a cousin who, and not necessarily postpartum, but subsequent to birth of all three of her kids, she, everyone would say to me, oh, I'm going on vacation for like a week and a half, for years. So I just assumed she was going on vacation. Lo and behold, years later, I found out she was checking herself into a facility because since the birth of her kids, she's been going through it and subsequently was put on medication. So there's that type of person who 
knows something's wrong, mm-hmm. goes in for help, gets on the meds. With that said, there were times where she would take herself off the meds and, you know, they left. Currently dealing with a person who, a family member who really on medication. He is bipolar, he's schizophrenic, he's, you know, this, that, everything else, who has recently, well, in the last year, has been off meds for a year. The question is, how do we convince those who need to be on meds on the medications? In the, the, in the latter example, he knows, he has said, I know I cannot be off my medication, but yet medication and has spiraled. You know, I, I am certainly not a medical professional. I think, however, in my limited experience, that is not unusual. So many people that are bipolar, schizophrenic, especially the ones that are, you know, it, it's beyond maybe some seasonal depression or postpartum depression, people that have long-standing chronic situations have issues staying on the medication. He is not unique in that issue. Um, You know, there are lots of people that either they live on the streets or they're on, you know, drug dependent or what have you. A lot of veterans, a lot of, you know, you can kind of go down the list, but that that's a long-standing problem where people don't stay. They either get on the medication and they don't like the way the medication makes them feel. Or they get on the medication, they get to a point where they feel good and life is good and they feel normal. So they feel that they are now cured. They no longer need the medication. I don't know the answer to that one. And for both of you, you're absolutely right in in looking at um, long periods of time of working with people who have been on medications. It's you know, the medications make me feel some type of way. For a young person or even a man, the medication's affecting my sex drive. The medication is affecting my weight. So then the medication that is fixing one thing in their life is creating another barrier for them. So if I'm concerned about my self-esteem and my self-image and I'm depressed and you give me medication and the depression is better, but I've gained 10 pounds in a month, now I'm depressed again, and it's about what you're giving me to fix the depression, so I'm not going to want to stay on it. And it's really a difficult kind of um, balancing act, because again, as you said, I want to feel as close to normal as I think normal is. And, you know, working in this in this profession, normal is subjective, but people have a desired level of what normal is for them, and when they reach that desired level, if the medications are in any way contributing to some aspect of them not being able to maintain that, the medication is the yeah. first thing to go. I have a question. Um, recently, again, this young man was hospitalized. He was taken to a mental institution by police because lives were threatened. Three day hold. At three days, at the third day, he was released. He threatened lies. He's released. He doesn't have to take meds. He, he doesn't have to do any therapy. What the hell? 
what the actual hell? How can you release this person after three days, knowing that he's threatened lives and wanting to harm himself and say, oh yeah, we're gonna kick you out and you don't need to take any meds and nor do you need to do any follow-up therapy. What the hell? They're everywhere on our streets. And I would question, but I would question how that went exactly because very often, now we can't make, if, even if you get taken in for, we call it a 1013 where it's a, um, like basically medically and police requires you to be committed because of your, your being a danger to self or others. When that happens, depending on your insurance, depending on absence of insurance, they have a designated stabilization process. And the stabilization process, if you don't have a lot of money or resources or insurance, could be three to five days, sometimes seven days. It just depends on the state, depends on the facility. Now, I can say we're going to give you medications because you need these symptoms stabilized. You don't have to take them, but if you are stable enough to walk out and, and be cognitively aware that you should not say you're going to hurt yourself and not say you're going to hurt anyone else, and for the most part, appear to be okay enough to walk out this door, they will allow you in most instances to walk out the door. There usually is follow-up. They will say, um, we're discharging you, but you need to go to this clinic, which is usually a community-based clinic or something like that. Or if you have insurance, you need to check in with your doctor. Within it, Here in Georgia, if you're released like that, you're supposed to be discharged and your discharge planner is supposed to connect you with a, a clinician. We get people to never show up for that appointment. So the appointment can be made and you decide you're never gonna show up. You can be handed a prescription and decide you're never gonna take it. You can say, I've been taking this and they can say, well, our doctors here don't write for that. We write for this. Well, that's not what I take, so I'm not gonna take it. So there are a lot of variables so while I'm not saying that didn't happen in that exact manner, I'm not there and don't know, but there are a lot of variables that when you are given a connection to resources, there is very minimal follow-up because you're still an independent, autonomous adult. You get to decide what you want to do. And if you want to be psychotic and you're not threatening to hurt anybody, you can be walking up and down the street psychotic. Now, if you threaten somebody, police can be involved, but... If you have stabilized and said, I'm no longer feeling that way, you get to walk out the doors until the next episode. You know, I, and there have been quite a few over the last few years of police standoffs that ended poorly that exactly started this way. You know, somebody went into the hospital or somebody had been recently discharged from the hospital after having a, you know, three or five day psych hold. And then there is an incident and acting out somebody in the home, because they're now back home, somebody in the home calls 911 and they express that there is a psychological situation going on. And we've seen multiple people shot dead like that on the news in recent years. You know, a lot of things that happen, happen all around you. But you know, what is that that saying there? Your uh, reticular activator, right? So once it happens to you, or it happens in your life or you, somebody that you know closely, that's when you realize you may or may not have seen it before. 
but everything looks different when it's up close. And so, you know, I understand and I, and I, I understand how frustrating that would be. And I understand how scary that would be. It's unfortunately not that unusual. And that, that's a very sad state of affairs. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world because I don't live in other countries. I live here. Um, but we see it more and more. We don't have adequate health care. We love, we just love our country. We love our flag. We love ourselves. We just think we are the cat's meow. We do not have adequate health care. We just don't. We don't have adequate access. And for a lot of people, it's not even an option to be held somewhere for a period of time because who's paying for it? So they'll let you go. They just let you go. Absolutely. You know? And then if you're fortunate enough Absolutely. to have adequate health care, you still have the right to say, I pass. And I was going to say, and even when you look at just evaluating mental health across the lifespan, you know, young people, adolescents, extreme stress, distress, mental health issues, you know, that are pretty much panned off as, oh, that's kind of you're being a teenager. When in some instances, it's not you being a teenager, it's really mental health. And then you get into the stressors of adulthood. And I'm trying to figure out how to support myself and even maybe support a family. And I've got these expectations, stressors. You know what? You're supposed to be a man. You're not supposed to feel anything. Get over it. Go out there. And that starts, I saw something last week and I thought, my God, this was so telling. In some communities, often the African-American community, we tell our kids, don't cry. You better not cry. I'm going to give you something to cry about. And then they become men and adults who do not know how to process their emotions. And so they, they're met with women, you know, often or a partner that says, you don't communicate. You don't talk to me. You don't share your emotions. Well, I've not been I've not learned to do that. I've actually been told to do that is weak. I've been told to do that is um, not masculine. Or I've been told to do that means I'm not wearing my big girl panties. So I don't do it. And then we get into I'm aging and I've got medical issues. And so, okay, now another aspect of something that would trigger mental health justifiably. I'm alone. I'm, I'm, my body's breaking down and disappointing me. My body's in pain. I don't have access to socialization. So across the lifespan, it's hard as hell to not have a mental health issue. When you really look at all the things that you're met with, it's almost how do you get out of it without having one? And the, the fact is, you don't. Everybody's got a chink. And I love to tell my clients and my patients that every single one of us has a chink in our mental health armor. Some of ours present larger. Some of us have better resiliency, but nobody gets out of this without it. Yeah, so true. So true. <laughs> I mean, I, I am a huge advocate for um, psychotherapy, be it, um, you know, checking in with somebody occasionally via Zoom or having a regular therapist that you visit once, you know, once a week or what have you. I'm a big advocate for that. Um, you know, I've been talking to a, a young man that I know here locally, and he's having some real family issues. It's a blended family. Um, and um, one of the, and, and it's, it's a, you know, hers, mine, and ours kind of family. And one of the children also is um, pretty severely autistic as well. 
So there's a lot going on. You know, there's a there's a an older child that's a hers that is, uh, you know, an older teenager that is really given some challenges, really given some challenges. There's you know another child that is kind of lost there in the middle, and then there's a younger child that's autistic. There's a lot of poles, and he is really struggling. And I said to him, he, think about this, you need to talk to somebody. And he again is struggling with that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm the breadwinner, I'm the black man, I'm the strong man, I'm the, you know, whatever. And you, you're dealing with a lot, and there is no shame. And I, I use the same thing. I said, if you, if you all of a sudden were losing feeling in your toes, and you were concerned that you had diabetes or something like that, or there was some kind of depression, you would be going to the doctor. Men and their egos. Mm -hmm. Not that women don't have egos. The mental health. Like Miss P, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. And if men would look at it like, uh, you need to fix something in your house. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the tools. You go to Home Depot. You don't have the tools to fix your mental health. Well, go to your, put the ego down, go get the tools you need, put them in your toolbox, go back to that house and fix it. Put your ego down and head out to your local supply store. <laughs> well, what I often tell people is, I mean, there's actually a diagnosis that we use for people that are coming in where it doesn't mean you're, you don't have to come to therapy because you're mentally challenged. Sometimes it can be, I have experienced a significant disruption in my ability to function and my ability to be present, my ability to be effective, my ability to navigate my life challenges. So we have a diagnosis that's called adjustment disorder, and it can have an attachment to conduct. It can have an attachment to changes in your behavior and mood and emotional state. But we really try to put it out there. You don't necessarily need to feel like the only reason that you come to see a therapist is because you are crazy. Um, crazy people don't know they need help. So sometimes it's, I am experiencing challenges in my life, my functioning, my ability to maintain my relationships. So I just need some redirection back to what I probably already know, but because I'm compromised due to this issue that is creating, excuse me, the disruption, I just need to re be reminded of where my power base is. So yeah, coming to see a therapist isn't always about everything is broken. It's I realize things are beginning to break and it's time for me to go to the mental Home Depot and, you know, get things together. I think a lot of us have an issue with uh, the yeah. term disorder as well, and being put in that box. And for the person going through a disruption, why can't we just use a get a better term than disorder? Can we get rid of the disorder thing? Because that brings a lot of stigma. Of course, you're going to be diagnosed. But verbiage, man, can we work on the verbiage? Absolutely. And I, I work with a lot of uh, first responders now. And that was one of the challenges in working with first responders is what you call it. And so in a lot of people that a lot of practices that do, it's called a emotional injury. It heals. And when you say disorder, they feel like I'm stuck with this. And so even the way that first responders brains process the fix it and the resolution of a thing, there's an end. Like I do this, it will be fixed. So just to be able to afford them an opportunity to work on those challenges, there's this huge push to make when they come in, 
it's more centered around an emotional injury. I don't know that I like that either, yeah, but it's I, better I was than having disorder. having the exact same reaction <laughs> as they try to deal with things is when I look at something that is controversial, I try to remove the controversy and do a, a completely separate parallel. So, you know, if somebody is having a reaction to something that's political, for example, I'll try to completely refrain from any any political comment, but maybe reframe it in a food or sports or something analogy, something that they can relate to, but it takes it takes the heat out of the conversation. Um, and so that's always what I'm looking at or looking for, because I know, for example, if I go to the doctor and he said, well, Ms. P, you're obese and you need to lose weight. Well, that's a whole different conversation than saying there's some changes that we can make to enhance your health. Let's look at what those things are. And I'm not automatically defensive. I'm not automatically feeling like something is wrong with me. You know, you're there because you know there's an issue. But if, you know, if they're using words like there's a disorder and we have to prescribe and we have to come up with a, a, a mental health strategy and a, that all sounds really, really scary long-term, expensive, and serious. But if you can tweak some things, if we can look at some ways to enhance your health, if we can, you, you, the goal is the same thing. The goal is to get some of this weight off your bones. That might be the weight. That might be the thing. But how are we approaching it? And, you know, a lot of it, like we said, it's, a lot of it is just tied up in stigma. And if people are like, you know, what, you going to a psychiatrist? You know, I remember being a teenager and having it's really going through some challenges and my parents were pretty strict and, you know, I was, it, it, you know, whatever, but I was just feeling a little depressed. And I remember saying to my mom, you know, I don't really understand what's happening, but I, I think I feel a little depressed. And she said, depressed? What the hell you got to be depressed about? We give you everything you want. If you're going to, if you want to be crazy, you'll be crazy. Do you want to be crazy? I shut my mouth because I didn't want to be crazy. I just knew that I was feeling a little depressed and I felt like I maybe needed to talk to somebody about it, but I didn't talk to anybody until I was out on my own because I wasn't bringing that up. And that's sad because so many teens say the exact same thing. I knew I didn't feel right. I knew that I was feeling sad or anxious or whatever. And I asked my parents and the first thing that it goes to is, what do you have to be sad? About? You get to live here. You're not on the street. And it's not about just the environment. Sometimes it is the environment. Sometimes a sucky environment will make you depressed. But just because I have a place to lay my head and food to eat does not mean the environment in which those those things are being provided is not disruptive or toxic. And so to minimize that for someone, you know, it's hugely insulting to them. And it's exactly what young people do. Let me shut up. Because they're going to they're gonna fuss at me. They're going to tell me I'm embarrassing them. And after all that's done, they're going to use this as a weapon against me about mm -hmm. my behavior. But they're still not going to get me the help. We're raising great issues. We're not going to solve the world's problems in one podcast. Mm -hmm. My hope for this podcast is to let people know that they're not alone. They are not alone. You know, some Absolutely. of these mental health issues lead to physical psychological, sexual, suicidal, like all kinds of ends 
that where they don't want to go. So number one, you are not alone. None of us are alone. But you can't suffer in silence. And that's the main thing. And it is suffering. You are suffering. And acknowledge that it's suffering. It's painful. This emotional pain can sometimes outweigh physical pain. You're not alone. Do not suffer in silence. You know, there are resources, regardless of your financial situation. You know, there are faith-based resources. There are county-based resources. You know, a lot of times I know that, you know, maybe the county will work with you. They'll give you references on a sliding scale. You know, there could be Medicaid. There's, um, if you work for a company, there could be an, an EAP or some kind of, of um, you know, where I work, I work for a major corporation. And I know they have um, an 800 number that, that colleagues can call and, and get help. In addition to things like suicide lines and things like that, the most important thing to take away from this is that you're not alone and you do not need to suffer in silence. And I would add that the pandemic has done yeah. a lot to distance people, but with regard to seeking mental health services that are allowing you to be more private, we do, I'm with a practice that is 100% virtual in one of the practices that I'm affiliated with. And I'm with another practice that is, you can be virtual or you can come in if you feel like I'm tired of being you know, behind the computer due to the pandemic. We actually have, our offices are so huge that we can actually have clients in our offices. They can take their masks off and we can sit way across the room and do, so we are making concessions. But I would say if you have insurance or even the, the community mental health agency that I work with, we were doing telephone sessions and virtual sessions. So you can literally log in from your phone and you can log in from your computer. You can log, some people are logging in from the car. We're like, please don't drive. Could you please pull over for your session? But it has really made accessing mental health services with a lot of privacy, a lot more reasonable and easily attained. And one more thing, there are also resources for not just those who need the help, but for yes. the families yes, of those who need the help. For those who have never yes. had to deal with this before and are now dealing with it, there are organizations out there that offer the family members, whoever is touched by it. Very good point. Well, ladies, this has been a lot. This is one that we um, will probably need to revisit. The pandemic, I think, has really brought to the forefront, you know, a lot of the dirty little secrets. You don't shine a light on them. You know, some things can kind of, of exist in the dark. But the pandemic has been a big, giant light that has shined a lot of, a lot of, brought a lot of issues to the forefront. Um, most important thing is reach out, get help. You know, tomorrow can be better. You have to be on this side of the ground. There are people who love you. Never forget. All right, ladies. I love you both. I love you. We'll pick this up again. All right, ladies. Mavens and misters, if you dare. Join us next week for another foray into martinis, mayhem, and menopause. Ooh, and before my old ass forgets, feel free to leave questions, comments, and follow us at Mayhem Musings on Instagram and Mayhem Musings Facebook group. Clink, clink. Clink.